Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hash It Out. I am your co-host, Deborah, and I am joined today by Chelsea and the president of the Native American Student Alliance, Tiffany. For today's episode, we will be discussing Native American erasure in honor of Indigenous Heritage Month. Before we dive into the topic, we first want to thank the Native American Student Alliance for collaborating with us on this episode and give Tiffany a chance to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Tiffany. I am a neuroscience major and psychology major in the School of Science and the president of the Native American Student Alliance. I go by she and her pronouns, and uh, this is actually my super senior year, so my fifth year here, and I will be graduating in May. So before we begin, we just want to take the time to um, acknowledge the land in which we are on and also acknowledge the presence of Native American tribes that have been here in Indiana. Yeah, thank you for that, Chelsea. Um, We also want to start this episode by discussing some history. So first of all, I just want to emphasize that this community has a lot of history, more than can be covered in one episode of this podcast. That being said, we will try our best to do it justice. And I think it's important to bring up the fact that historically, there were thousands of tribes. Each had its own individual culture. However, at present, there are only 574 federally recognized American Indian and Alaska Native tribes and villages. Of course... A big contributor to this is the fact that the U.S. is built on stolen land and has a history of destroying Native American communities. The largest act of ethnic cleansing perpetrated by the United States government began in 1830 when Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act into law, which gave him the power to negotiate the removal of Native American tribes in the South to land west of the Mississippi. Of course, those negotiations were corrupt and rife with coercion. Take, for example, the removal of the Cherokee, which was conducted via treaty never approved by the leaders of the Cherokee Nation and resulted in about 4,000 deaths, or one-fifth of the Cherokee population. Later scholars suggest that this number could be even higher than that. By the end of the decade, very few natives remained anywhere in the southeastern United States. Working on behalf of white settlers who wanted to grow cotton on the Indians' land, the federal government forced them to leave their homelands and walk hundreds of miles to a specially designated Indian territory across the Mississippi River. This difficult and deadly journey is known as the Trail of Tears, and it is over 5,043 miles long and covers nine states. Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. Whooping cough, typhus, dysentery, cholera, starvation were epidemic along the way, and historians estimate that more than 5,000 Cherokee died as a result of the journey. I just want to add into that one thing that I've recently learned that was never really addressed in school is that this wasn't like that they told everybody they were getting ready to come get them, pack your stuff up, and let's go. Like, they went in at gunpoint and took these people out of their homes, and some of them didn't even have shoes on their feet. They couldn't pack things. Like, it wasn't, people weren't dying because natives weren't prepared. We traveled the United States in the dead of winter on a regular basis like this is what it's our land this is what we do but um so I just kind of wanted to clarify that uh, I am actually a descendant of the Cherokee and the Chiriqua Apache and my grandfather Archibald McAllister was in the 1838 removal so and also from Alabama my the woman that he ended up marrying um was also in the removal you can trace them from the trails where they started to where the two trails met right across the Mississippi and Missouri. And that's where I was born. That's where they kind of jumped off. A lot of people left. So they were watching their children and their families dying. And But yeah, a lot of people just abandoned the trail completely. They would run away or and try and start lives away from that. 
um, and you lose your people. But at the same time, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine being there. There's, uh, I was actually reading last night for a paper I'm doing, the uh, Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, which is the largest Native American tribe in the U.S., um, actually has been doing a youth program for the past 34 years called Remember the Removal. And they take maybe 12 to 16 uh, youth and young adults. And it's a bike ride from starting in Cherokee, Tennessee, that they do is a 950-mile bike ride over the period of about three weeks that they go from Cherokee, Tennessee, back to their um, reservation in Oklahoma. So um, thank you, Tiffany, for that. There's actually a point that you hit on that, like, just goes straight into what I was thinking. It's like talking about the education system and, like, how it is in regards to Native American history. And I feel like despite the severity of cult the cultural erasure um, by the U.S., like, when it comes to Native American history, like, it's often very, very romanticized in the education system. Like, we see, like, the portrayal of interactions with, with white Americans and Native Americans is very, very romanticized. Um, and it's not always historically accurate. I'm going to say nine times out of ten, it's not historically accurate. Um, another thing, when it comes to the Native American community, you, in the education system, it's like we we speak about them in past tense, like they just don't exist anymore. Like, like it's the dawn of the Ice Age. Like, they're just extinct. And, like, that's not the case. Like, this community still is living and still is in these different communities. We just don't talk about them and we don't acknowledge them. Additionally, like, Natives are more than often re referred to as like savages and this portrayal of native americans is like one of the first thing that kids are introduced to when they're in history classes um if you think you even think about the way people appropriate the culture during halloween like i i remember i was in the halloween uh store with, with a couple of my sorority sisters and like there was these costumes and like one of them said um wild child or savage girl and it was just like so not only have you appropriated a culture for a holiday you have disrespected the culture as well by calling them wild and savages sounds very familiar with me being a black woman sounds very familiar but that's another topic for another day and I think the problem with this is like you had talked about is like children are not often given the opportunity nor the privilege to have the full extent of history when it comes to different minoritized groups and I think that's because history itself especially American history tends to Disneyfy things when it comes to the bad part the bad parts quote-unquote of history like it's it's Disneyfied I think often think about uh, the movie Pocahontas I absolutely love that movie as a child like that was my favorite movie my favorite Disney princess until I started school and I remember like as a child like I'm a history major I absolutely love history and I remember being taught things in class and just like no nah, y'all not giving us the full story I'm gonna go research this on my own so I started doing that and when I realized like the extent of even the story Pocahontas like first of all you look at the Disney movie and then you look at actual history first of all this girl let's acknowledge that she was actually real because a lot of people don't think she's real this girl was 10 years old she was not a teenager like she wasn't even 18 she was 10 her captor you romanticize this relationship with her I think it's easier so America doesn't seem villainous in school systems you disneyfy a lot of things to appease a white fragility which i mean i don't want to be rude about it but like you you have to come to terms with it you can't i feel like with history especially history given the time that we're in given the climate that we're in in this country is that you cannot sugarcoat history some things just have to be laid out as it is in black and white like it just it is what it is and i feel like to appease the majority which is white americans you sugarcoat things you disneyfy things especially for children 
children because you don't want children to realize, hey, my country is kind of suckish sometimes. It just, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah, that's um, a big issue that you see with these different stereotypes, too, is that Native American women are either over-sexualized or categorized as just drudges that are really just kind of in the background of everything, or they're made into Pocahontas. There's a, a whole stereotype. The only reason that white people like Pocahontas is because she liked white people. Mm-hmm. So this entire story, the Disney story, is about a young Native girl who doesn't want to be with her people anymore. Like, the only reason she's romanticized, the only reason that little kids love her and that white people feel comfortable with her is because she is being everything that they think Native people should be. She is wanting to abandon her wild ways and and accommodate the, the white man that she's, for whatever reason, fallen in love with. Yeah, which is not right. I mean, she was married when they took her. Um, she was taken back to England. She ended up dying there. Um, She did translate and do a lot of relations between um, her tribe and the white people. So that part was right, but not because she thought her people were savage or not not worthy of her. And can we just mention that there's no such thing as an Indian princess? Let's throw that out there. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, And then building off of the impact that negative stereotypes have, especially those pertaining to natives, um, with the minimal mention of the contemporary issues and the ongoing conflicts over land and water rights or tribal um, sovereignty, Native Americans have become invisible. And it can be argued that it makes it easier for non-Natives to take the lead and create their own narratives. So this invisibility, like I mentioned, it makes it easier to create and support racist mascots or over-sexualized caricatures of Native American women and everything from fashion to, like Chelsea mentioned, Halloween costumes. And this invisibility extends beyond education curriculum to pop culture entertainment, news media, social media, and even the judicial system. So the results are extremely damaging and contribute to bias, discrimination, and institutional racism. Not surprisingly, non-natives are filling the information void with devastating effects. There is data and groundbreaking research to show that stereotypes, false and inaccurate narratives, and the invisibility of Native people have real and damaging effects as they create the lens in which major decisions are made. From the highest court in the land, to Congress, schools, by employers, etc. It can no longer be viewed as fighting for political correctness. So yeah, and that continues into modern day. Uh, People don't want to think about the horrible things that have happened before, and so it's a lot easier to come to terms with that when those people don't exist because then you don't have to answer for anything. You know, it, it's it, people talk about reparations and things like that. I mean, we can't even get clean water on reservations. Um, we can't keep people from tearing up the land that still belongs to Native American people. They're still land grabbing right now. Let me just mention to you, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the CNN gaffe that happened earlier this week when they listed Native American people as something else. So it's it's not something that's only happened before. It's not something that's going to stop happening anytime soon. Um, they don't want you to know that there's still Native American people here and active. We're contemporary. Like you said, we're always taught and talked about in a past tense. Um, that's one of the things I really like to do uh, with the Native American Student Alliance is talk about Native Americans in the present tense because we are still alive. Um, we're artists and rappers and <laughs> you kind of get mixed in with everyone else and that is a a whole strategy um, on top of the fact that you don't see many Native American characters let alone ones that are correct and not just uh, stereotypes and static background characters Uh, that affects youth like me 
Like I, I'm an urban Native American. I don't come from a, a reservation or anything like that. So I don't see anyone. If it's not my family, I don't see them. So all we see are these stereotypes on TV. So that's what we think we are. That's what we think everybody sees us as. So not only does it instill shame, but it, it helps aid in that isolation that we feel. So yeah, in case you haven't seen it yet, definitely um, look up the something else hashtag. Um, that is trending among native communities right now so it's it's kind of great there was uh what was it it started off it had categorized the votes into the different racial categories that had been voted for so there was like white black hispanic and then something else which was six percent of the vote by the way we definitely turned the tide in quite a few counties uh, natives vote that's a a thing that we're very proud of right now so and then underneath it had asians at three percent so it's not even because there's not enough And that's one of the things, too, that I really noticed when I saw it is that a lot of the times you see these, you see white, black, Hispanic, Asian and other, which we get thrown into the other a lot. And we kind of just assume that it's because there's people other than Native Americans that are that need to be grouped. And we're just such a small number there. And oh, that's why there's this justification. But the fact that we had a higher percentage than the other people that you did choose to categorize by their race that there's no excuse for that anymore that takes it to a whole new level like you are not just putting us in with other because there's too many small numbers for you to be able to list everything on the on the tv that's a bad excuse anyway but now you're doing it like it's deliberate it's you didn't want people to know that that native vote counts it's the something else for me like Mm -hmm. it's it's honestly it's the something else for me it's like you said it's like that you deliberately intentionally put that on there like i know if they did that to black people i would have went ballistic like cnn would have heard my mouth on twitter instagram facebook myspace everything you would have heard it um just because you you know what you're doing and i feel like even with that even though the votes are already in i still feel like that is like a way of voter suppression you don't want native americans to know that their vote counts just like i've i've always told like my black counterparts like you want to know the reason why your vote matters is because they're trying so hard to suppress it. They're trying so hard to yep. put these voter these voter places in areas that you would not go to. <laughs> they're trying so hard. And so with that, something else, they want Native American communities to realize that your vote actually, they don't want them to realize that your vote actually matters. So they're going to categorize you as something else because they don't want you to know that you are that 6%. So it, it it's the something else. Yeah. And I mean, even when like, say when they go back and they look at numbers, those politicians look at numbers, they look at who voted for them so that they can address those issues. When you categorize an entire people by something else, you're erasing every issue connected to those people. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to address the the pipeline protests. You don't have to address murdered and missing indigenous women. You don't have to address any of that because we don't exist. And that just continues all the time. Yeah. And that like straight up let's call it what it is that's paper genocide you're erasing Mm -hmm. an entire group of people it's the systemic destruction of native american identity by reclassifying people into non-native racial groups on government records and by erasing that existence via like the census via poll statistics treaty rights are ignored funding streams are gutted and the details of this community are just like you said, they're just ignored. It's They do it so that they don't have to address that community as mm-hmm. existent anymore. And that's really what it is. It's genocide. Yeah. And it's, um. I mean, there's a lot of controversy right now surrounding, and I mean, there really always has been, but surrounding the issue of blood quantum. Uh, have you ever heard of that? 
Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so blood quantum is the government's, well, one of the ways that the government qualifies people as Indian. So you actually have to have a percentage of blood to be able to be Indian. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter who you were born to, how you were raised. Um, and a lot of, I, th- I believe that it's one fourth Indian to be able to qualify. So, I mean, we have really high rates of intermarriage. So that's, it's, it's on top of paper genocide, like that's just another way to kill us out. Like it's systematic erasure of all of us. And it's and it, it's sad because a lot of people, like we talk about how proud we are of being 100% Native American or I'm half Native American. And there are like factions, they look down on people that don't have enough Native American blood. But at the same time, it's just that internalized racism and that internalized thought process, that colonialization, that mindset that's going to kill us off. Uh, One of the issues that we're actually going to be addressing next week with uh, the we're going to do it black, white and red all over is colorism in the Native American culture or societies. I know that was something that you guys addressed with uh, LSA a couple weeks ago, right? Native Americans joke sometimes that the only things that need papers to prove what they are, to prove their pedigree are dogs, horses, and Indians. And, you know, and that's, it's, it's a fact. Like if you look it up, you know, if you're 10% Native American or no, if you're 10% black and 90% Native American, you're categorized as black. That is, that's a fact. Um, there was something that you brought up that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that you did is, like, the colonialization of Native Americans. Like, and I, I think a lot of the times when you talk about systemic racism, when you talk about racism as far as Native Americans, a lot of people ask why. Why is this important? Um, why do people try to suppress it so much? And that's because if you look at the history, like, like we did earlier in, the, in this episode, we acknowledge the fact that we are – in the presence of Native American land. And I think what the thing is with the United States is we don't want to have to acknowledge that. That's why we say, that's why CNN said something else. That's why you see reservations push so far to the left of the country. Like you see all of this erasure happening because we don't want to have to acknowledge that somebody, I ain't going to say no names, Christopher Columbus, who wasn't even supposed to be over here. He thought he was going to see the islands. So now I got to talk to Queen Isabella in the afterlife and ask her, why did you hire this person? He don't even know what he's doing as far as direction goes. But that's another topic for another day. Came over to somewhere else that he wasn't even supposed to be at. Took this land that belonged to other people. You have the English doing it. Then you have the Spanish doing it. Then you have the French and the German doing it. So you have these people colonizing this land that is actually belonging to someone else. And then we, hundreds of years later, tell other people that they're not allowed, they're illegal on this land, but y'all were first. Y'all illegally took something Mm -hmm. that belonged to somebody else. The definition of stealing is to take something that belongs to someone else, and that is exactly what you did. So I think the thing with America is, the reason why it is so imperative to have this erasure of Native American communities is because we don't want to have to acknowledge what we've done. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you hear, get over it? You know, it was 500 years ago. You you should get over it. I'm sorry. It was not 500 years ago. It was today. Absolutely. It was today, and it continues, and you're still doing it. Up north, they, they, have, uh, they had some protests going on, uh, another pipeline. There's pipelines everywhere. Let's just throw that out there, too, in case you thought Standing Rock was done. It's not. From the last I read, they're still in court. And then there's also pipelines all over the U.S. There's pipelines coming down from Canada. Um, Wet'suwen'en is a, a tribe in Canada that was protesting a pipeline running through their reservation lands um, or nearby it. I, I'm not sure what the details was on, on where it was, but it was funny because just like here, they sent militarized 
police. They block out media. Not only do they bring in these police, but they know exactly what they're doing. This isn't a, oh, people got violent. No, there's, we don't have weapons. We're out there with feathers and staffs and 80-year-old elders. Like, it's not, that's not what's happening. You can't make excuses. And they know they can't make excuses, so they shut the media out. Uh, you, that's why you can't find these things online. They don't come up in the news. And they actually, before they decided to actually take down that barrier of the Wet'suwet'en people, they blocked out the media again. And for whatever reason, they uh, took down all the drones. They took down all the body cams. They took it there. They did not want documentation of what they were planning to do. That's the thing to keep in mind. They're planning these things. It isn't some that happens. Things don't get out of control. These are people coming in with intention. intention. Yeah. And I think the thing about get over it that when people say, oh, this was years ago, get over it. The thing that irritates me the most is I could get over it if there wasn't a trickle down effect of everything that is happening. Um, a lot of people that tell you as a black person to be like, slavery was years ago. Get over it. But here's the trickle down effect of that mass incarceration, having low literacy in black communities, poor poverty in black communities, gentrification of black neighborhoods like there's a trickle-down effect. So when I think of the Native American community, you'll say, well, the Trail of Tears was years ago. Okay, but here's a trickle-down effect of that. There's disparities among Native American communities. There's erasure. There's the genocide of Native American women that we don't hear about. So you can't tell me to get over something when there's a trickle-down effect of everything that's happening. So if you want me to get over it, stop doing the things that your ancestors did. Stop making it a modern-day thing. And then maybe I can get over it. I probably won't, but then maybe I could. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's the goal of the erasure. You know, you're you were mentioning, and uh, I want to throw in there what we were, I was going to lay out some facts after we talked about the residential schools. But Native Americans are killed at a higher rate by the police than any other minority. That is not something people know. Adding to the topic of cultural erasure, when conquerors and colonizers arrived with weapons in hand, natives experienced widespread oppression, prosecution and the condemnation of the spiritual beliefs and practices that were so central to their lives. In the early 1800s, many natives who weren't killed by murder, in battle, or by diseases brought over by colonizers were forced into reservation boundaries established unilaterally by the U.S. government. Many were met with two choices, convert or be killed, physical death or spiritual death. Native children were taken from their families and forced into boarding schools established by Christian or Catholic missionaries. As a requirement of their education at the boarding schools, the children attended mandatory church services and religious indoctrination classes. These children were either encouraged or in most cases forced to abandon their native spiritual practices as well as their unique indigenous first and last names. In the name of religious progress, native children were forced into government-sponsored, denominationally run boarding schools where many were abused physically, sexually, emotionally, and spiritually, and where many of them died. The rallying cry to civilize or Christianize indigenous children was kill the Indian, save the child. Yes, I mean, these children were stripped of their languages, their cultures, their families. These schools were often strategically placed far away from the child's reservation. Uh, that made it impossible for a lot of these kids to go back even when there were breaks in school. Um, instead, they would rent these children out to local families as servants. If That's a nice way to put it as servants. Children were only taken to these schools for the so-called purpose of education, but I mean the sale of 
Indian babies is something that is well known. Like maybe maybe it's well known to me. <laughs> maybe it's not well known, and I and I don't realize that. But I mean, you can just look it up online, and you see posters. And I mean, just think about the fact that they're photographs of these native babies. So, in case that puts it in a little more historical perspective, this wasn't that long ago. So, also tying into this trend of like erasure um, by targeting the younger generations is the fact that Native American women were like sterilized without their consent, like over the six-year period that have followed the passage of Family Planning Services and Population Research Act of 1970, physicians sterilized like 25% of Native American women of childbearing age, and there's evidence suggesting that the numbers were actually even higher than that. Some of these procedures were performed under pressure or duress or without the woman's knowledge or understanding. I'm just going to say, as a woman, I'm disgusted. Not surprised, though, because this country has a trend of deciding what to do with women's bodies should they see fit to. And it just goes to show, like, I didn't even know this information prior to doing this episode. And it just goes to show that, like, how much of a suppression there is with education among minoritized groups, especially minoritized groups that are not talked about as often. And that's why being an education major is so big to me, because my students are going to know about this stuff, whether America, whether my school district, whether their parents, like my student, if I have anything to do with it, my students will not go into this world willfully ignorant. Now, what they do outside my classroom ain't got nothing to do with me. <laughs> that is between them and their parents and the Lord. That ain't got nothing to do with me. But in my classroom, my students will not be willfully ignorant to the things that is happening in this country because essentially I am teaching the next doctors, lawyers, perhaps the president of the United States. And I'm not going to let that be on my head when it's judgment day for me that I allowed my students to go into this country willfully ignorant. And it's just a shame that like even stuff like this that I just talked about, I didn't notice prior to that. Like um, I remember prior to doing this episode, Deborah and I were talking and she said, it's disturbing that I was able to find so much information about this because Yes, this is essentially it's convenient for us to do this podcast and to bring exposure to this. But at the same time, you're finding all this information that a lot of people don't know about. You didn't learn about this in the education system. Um, so it's, it's really disheartening. And it's happening today. Absolutely. You know, um, we're seeing it on the border in the ICE detention centers. And I know a lot of the times when you bring up the subject, people say, well, how could that even happen? Like, how do you get a hysterectomy and not know that it happened? So you go in for some other medical procedure. Um, I was reading an article that was pertaining to the ice sterilizations and a woman had gone in for removal of a cyst. So she's going in, removing a cyst from an ovary. And when she wakes up from surgery, he had performed a hysterectomy on her. He didn't ask, he didn't tell her. And they, they come out with the excuse that, well, it was needed, it was for her health, but there's no explanation. And why is it happening in the thousands? And why is it only certain doctors? So in case you weren't aware, a complaint was filed against the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia, asserting that officials transferred detainees to a physician who sterilized the woman without proper informed consent. Nurse Don Wooten described multiple forms of medical abuse, from failures to protect patients against COVID-19 to forced hysterectomies. So this physician... He was a gynecologist, and he was meant to be providing health care to these detainees, these women, and instead he removed the uterus of nearly every detainee sent to his office. The complaint included a detainee's report that the doctor performed hysterectomies on at least 
five ICDC detainees between October and December 2019, and that the women were confused about why the surgery had been performed. So again, 2019, like this is less than a year ago, y'all, like less than a year ago. So you can't say it's not happening today. He reportedly sterilized multiple women who received incomplete or false information about the procedure, as well as inaccurate or or contradictory statements by medical personnel and an inadequate Spanish-English interpretation. Yeah, that was what I was going to say next is, I mean, even if you go in, like if I go in and they're going to explain this to me, I might not understand what's going on. And I'm a pre-med major, (laughs) you know, so you come in and you don't even speak the language and they're not providing these translators. I mean, it's there's I, I don't even have words. Yeah. So let's be clear. This it's genocide. Genocide is, by definition, the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. So the definition of genocide includes killing, but it also includes other less visible measures, such as preventing births within the group, which is a goal of forced sterilization. So this is straight up genocide. Mm-hmm. You know, and just talking about genocide, like it's people think of it and they think of killing people. Like you said, it's not just killing people. You know, it's it's killing people, it's killing their culture, it's killing their chances to reconnect and rebuild from what you've took. And that is what we continue to see. So people just think of genocide as murder, but it's so much more than that. So much more. Yeah. And I also want to just like acknowledge the fact that there is currently an epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women. So Native American women are murdered and sexually assaulted at rates as high as 10 times the average in certain counties in the United States. And these crimes are overwhelmingly committed by individuals outside the Native American community. And these crimes are particularly likely in remote settings where transient workers, oil workers, for example, live in temporary housing units called man camps on and near tribal lands. Their crimes fall between jurisdictional cracks, leaving victims and their families without recourse. As of 2016, there were 5,712 cases of missing Native American women reported to the National Crime Information Center. Cheryl Bennett, an Arizona State University professor who studies hate crimes targeting indigenous people, has said that if a white person commits murder or rape against a Native American person, the federal government would have jurisdiction over those crimes instead of the tribe or state government. But when tribal law enforcement sent sexual abuse cases to the FBI and U.S. attorney offices, federal prosecutors declined more than two-thirds of them, according to a 2010 Government Accountability Office report. Yeah, and those are numbers just from 2016. I mean, what, that's four years ago? I have the numbers from 2017. It was 5,646. So these are not built up over the years. This is per year. This is what we're seeing. And these are underreported. You know, this a lot of the times when these women come up, they're either miscategorized or completely whitewashed, like we were talking about earlier. And like you were saying, when they're reported, uh, only 2% of the missing and murdered Indigenous women's cases were even included in the U.S. Department of Justice's missing persons database. And 96% of sexual violence against Native American women is perpetrated by non-Natives, uh, of Native American women have endured sexual assault in their lifetime. So you're looking at three out of every four, more than that. Um, I just want to thank Tiffany for coming out and um, doing this podcast with us and, like, being able to give us the research to 
expose this issue because it is an issue that is not often talked about. And now that you guys have this information, don't just leave it here. Do your own research. I always say um, since I've joined this program that injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. So if one of us isn't free, all of us aren't free. Um, intersectionality works everywhere. So um, don't let this podcast be the only way that you get your research done on this issue. Do more. Yeah. That- Thank you so much for letting me come out and talk to you guys. I was really excited about coming out and being able to actually uh, get some different information out there and have a different voice. Um, That is something really important. Like you were saying, do your own research. Uh, We were talking earlier about how difficult it is to even find the correct research. Something to keep in mind when you are out there looking. Please look for native voices. If it's not someone from the community telling you about it, you don't know if it's true. And it's sad to say, but that's that's a fact. And like we were discussing earlier, that's what we keep seeing. Um, me, I even, I, I know what's going on, and it's still hard to find the right facts. So check your sources and look for Native voices, because they're out there, and they're talking about it. So uh, Native American Student Alliance, we are going to be doing something in March concerning the murdered and missing indigenous women. So keep an eye out there. It'll probably depend on if we're able to all get back on campus or not, how it's gonna, <laughs> how it's gonna look. Um, please follow us on our Instagram. That's one of the easiest ways for me to let everybody know what's going on and keep people up to date on events and uh, different information. And there's fun facts and well, I guess they're not very fun, but <laughs> there's facts on there. So thank you so much for having me out. Like, I, this is a lot of fun. You guys are great. Um, thank you so much, ladies. And I just want to throw out there, too, like, you don't have to be Native American to come hang out with us at the Native American Student Alliance. Um, we have different events. We do fun things, too. So it's not all these depressing facts that, <laughs> that keep coming up. So please, if you're interested, feel free to reach out. Um, it's an open, safe place. Yeah, thank you, Tiffany, again, for coming out and collaborating with us on this episode and being a guest on our podcast today. Um, I was really excited when I heard that the Native American Student Alliance wanted to collaborate with us, and I was just really excited to have that voice on here with us today. And I just want to reiterate what both you, Tiffany, and Chelsea said about this doesn't end here. This this issue does not end with this podcast, just as it did not start with this podcast. Go out find more information, do your own research. Unfortunately, all these atrocities against this community are still happening. And unless you address those, unless you educate yourself and do something about it, they're going to continue. That being said, this is all that we have for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time.